we simply love you so much for what you've done for us and in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our question of the day is how do we, um, moving forward as a church, uh, how do we sort of bring in and recruit and uh, enable more God-called you know, people that are really into this, uh, volunteers, leaders, and stuff that, like that, who will take us into the future, who will, uh, you know, sort of uh, multiply and spread the gospel along with us, you know. And, um, you know, maybe you're sitting here, you've been here for a while, and you haven't really locked in in something where you're serving in the church. We would love to see you do that. And over the next four weeks, uh, we're going to look at leadership lessons from some of the most unlikely leaders uh, who God shaped at, to, into starting movements of people that were activated for ministry, people that really kind of, you know, blessed the church with, with their lives and all that kind of stuff. And today we get our first leadership lesson from Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, and we're going to see right off the bat that good leaders delegate to able people. Now, I want to preface by saying something. I'm not, a, I'm, not the, I'm not the guy that holds up leadership as the pinnacle of all things. I don't think everybody's a leader, and, it, and leader is not better than other, all right? I, I've always been very sensitive to that language. I, I don't like some of that language, but it is the word we need to use, and it is important in the church. Leadership is important in the church, but I don't want to communicate ever that if you don't have leadership skills, then you're really not there. No, that's, that's not what we're saying, all right? So I just want to make that clear. So, but good leaders delegate to able people, right? The story is found in Exodus 18, verses 15 through 26. But I want to give you a little background, if I can. The Israelites have been delivered from Egypt already, right? And they've, they've crossed over the Red Sea, which is actually called the Sea of Reeds, I think. And it's after this provision of manna and quail, if you remember that story, and the famous battle with the Amalekites. I think it was the Amalekites, anyway. Some of kites, and um, and and which the Israelites won as long as Moses was holding up his hands with the staff and all that kind of stuff. If you can remember all that stuff from Sunday school, if you even went to Sunday school, I don't know if you did. Maybe the story's brand new to you. But um, now this marks at this point they're across the Red Sea. This marks a new chapter in the life of Israel, a settling in, so to speak, and a, and a finding of a greater identity as the people of God. And it's just after this that Moses receives the Ten Commandments and all the ceremonies and civic law and all that kind of stuff. So they're growing at this point in number and complexity. They're, they're going someplace. There's, there's a lot to do. And, and, and during this time, Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law, um, comes to visit him and observes how Moses sits from morning until evening as judge over all the disputes of the people that he's, he's leading. And so this alarms Jethro, and as he, he asks Moses in verse 14, he says, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you, alone, do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? Good question, because at this point, Moses might just wear himself out if he keeps operating like this, right? So let me uh, preface this by saying it's very natural for leaders to own their problems. 
It's very natural for leaders to own their problems. I imagine Vinny does that as he leads at the uh, Adventure Aquarium. He owns his own problems. He's a good leader, right? Um, you know, I, I imagine Chuck in his business as he leads others. He's, he owns his own problems. As, and we're going we're gonna to see this in Moses' life in verses 15 and 16. But let me just say that leaders are typically, not all, but typically they are responsible, passionate, caring people. They're responsible, passionate, caring people who own what's going on with those that they lead or under their lead. A good leader is concerned for the people that they oversee. <coughs> when without that, they'd be like this, you know, power hungry tyrant, or they might just be an indifferent, different sort of, they don't care. They, you know, some sort of a sluggard at the wheel, you know, that kind of thing. But Moses cares. Moses cares. He cares a lot. Shown by his response to Jethro, he says, uh, because the people come to me to seek God's will. And whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So Moses, we see here, is busy for the Lord, and that's good. Um, you know, he's, he's doing the work of the kingdom, and that's a, that's a commendable thing, right? He was the natural connection between the people and their God, right? He was that natural like conduit. And he, and he gets his hands dirty in daily ministry. Any leader should get their hands dirty in daily ministry. He, he's a guiding healthy force for people in this situation, but it's getting to be just too much for him, right? He's, he's getting to be uh, worn out. And up until this point, this is how it had to work, right? Sort of like a church plant, you know? It just had, had to work like that. But as the nation grows in size and in complexity, Moses' leadership style has to transition into something different, something new, and, and he has to add to his leadership to be able to accommodate his gro- this growth and complexity. And as the nation had plotted through the wilderness right before this, Moses had encountered major organizational issues as he had tried to lead these people through the desolate wilderness, you know. And his situation now must have been reminiscent of the wilderness where he spent, you know, uh, where he shepherded for like 40 years, having little to, to no help out there, you know, leading people, and it was beginning to drain on him. It was beginning to drain on him. Now, as you know, we had a big party Back in January, 6-8 has been here for over 10 years now. Amen, right? Amen to that. I, want, I don't know if you realize that very few church plants last beyond the two-year mark. Very few. It's not, it's not a great uh, you know, success rate. Very few last past two years. And when they do go past two years, uh, the majority of them do not grow past the 125 barrier of people, numbers of people. And while many of them stay even smaller still, like 50 to 75, and some even smaller than that, maybe around 30 people, 25 people or whatever, there's a lot of really small churches. The average church size is 150 people or less, or 100 people or less, something like that. And there can be many attributing factors to this beyond the control of of a church's leadership. There's a lot of things that feed into this. However, sometimes, sometimes it is because leaders have not learned the lesson that Jethro is about to teach Moses. Sometimes a leader's reluctance to adjust their leadership style holds a church back from its growth. 
a business, same thing, right? However, along the way, you know, 6-8 turned, you know, the corner of being a church plant to a, a legitimate church, right? For a long, for a number of years, we were, we were a church plant. We weren't really a church yet. Um, and and we've, we've gone through all the very necessary and very normative pains of, of transition as that's happened. And each stage brings with it a new challenge. You know, when you, when you start to research how churches grow, there are different barriers that you break through. And each stage has its new challenges. And we've done well through them all. We've really actually walked through those very, very well. And, and, and there's no reason to think that we won't continue to do so, Right? Someday you might have to can me and get somebody new to take you to the next level. I don't know. But for right now, I think we're going to keep going. We've grown in number and we've grown in depth of faith as a church. It's not bad to want to grow big, too. I want to I point that out. Somebody came to church once and they were like, and I said something like that. And they were like, oh, you're just all about numbers. I'm like, yeah, of course I am. Of course I am. There's nothing wrong with wanting to grow big. It is a godly attribute. It's a godly, healthy attribute of a healthy church to want to grow big. It's, it's the Great Commission call, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I got it in there again, right? Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and uh, teaching them to obey everything that I've, I've commanded you, right? That is our call. That is what a church does. By the way, that is the vision and the call of all churches across the world. Whether or not they voice it in different ways, that is the central call. That is the central vision for every single church in the world is to, to, to glorify God and bring his message to other people. We want for as many people as possible to know and walk with Jesus in barrier-breaking faith and in, and in full life. That's what we want. And we invite and we... Somebody's like back there crying. I thought that was like somebody erasing something. Right? How cute can you get, right? Um, but we want people to, to find new life and freedom in Jesus and, and, and to live in faith. And so we invite and we plan for growth here at 6-8, hence that construction that Joe's doing downstairs for us. Whole first floor is going to be renovated. We're going to move all of our kids over there. Amen. Our, we're going to have new offices. It's, we need this kind of stuff. We're planning and we're making decisions to accommodate the future of our church life and its witness in this world. You're late, Rob. You're really late. Just sit down. I want you to listen to the beginning of the sermon this coming week. When you, Dick, you as well, for shame, for shame. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, those two men are such a blessing in my life. God bless you guys. I, you are such a blessing in my life. Um, where was I? Anyway, but Moses' desire here in this passage was to genuinely bless and love people, Right? It really was. Teaching them God's statutes, teaching them God's laws while helping to organize these disputes which, were, which arose from this mobile nation out there in the wilderness, right? Because I don't know if you've noticed, wherever you have community, what do you have? Conflict, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. You have other stuff too, but you do always have conflict. And, and let me just say that conflict is oftentimes very healthy. It's healthy. We're going to bump up against each other and we're going to have to walk through things. That is normal. That's, you know, the, the trick is staying at the table and working it all out, right? 
His decision to step in and be an intermediary to help solve crises is a sign of a qualified and capable leader who feels and intuits when the people need direction and help. It's a good leader that does that. This is a common, this is normal, but as we'll see, it's not always the best solution for him uh, to do things the same way as he's done them before as things grow in size and complexity, right? So leaders... Delegate to able people, leaders own their problems, and we also see that leaders need mentors to grow and expose weaknesses in themselves, right? As we see in verse 17 and 18, he says, uh, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. (laughs) You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. You cannot handle it alone. It's true, right? Imagine sitting in the sun all day long, the hot sun out there and, you know, whatever, wherever they were all day waiting (coughs) to get an audience with Moses. You know, the toll that that would take on you and on him would be unbearable. It's not sustainable. It's insufficient. It's not good. Right. He needed outside input into his leadership style and his decision making. He couldn't do it all alone. It had gotten to that point. And this same father-in-law with whom he'd worked for 40 years, who was also a wise counselor to him and a mentor to him as an overworked leader, Moses was putting out fires, you know, without thinking about the big picture yet, right? You know, I have many of these mentors in my life, people who have traveled down the road that I'm currently walking on, right? Um, You guys aren't privy to all the conversations, all the prayers that I have about this church with all the other, uh, these other church leaders, both within and, and outside of 6-8. You may not know that I have a monthly meeting with a spiritual director who helps me to think through God's direction in my life. What, where is God taking me? What, he's saying, what is he saying to me? I need outside input to be able to hear that, hear that voice more clearly. And, you know, I, I have all kinds of people that I... I, I I speak to and I have, uh, what do you call it, regularly scheduled meetings with vineyard pastors in the area every three months. I have regularly scheduled meetings every week with other pastors just in this area. And I do all that because I need it. I need it. You know, I do feel competent in my role. I hope that doesn't sound arrogant, but I have, I have a healthy distrust of my own personality, especially in certain areas. And I regard that distrust of myself as actually wisdom, right? I've had stellar people around me for 10 plus years in this church plant advising me, you know, taking me uh, deeper in things. Other pastors, other missionaries, uh, other church leaders outside of 6-8, as well as internal good people who, who, who serve us faithfully as a church, our system heads, our community group leaders, and, and especially our pastoral council. Amen to them, right? God bless all of you who have, who have led this church, all of your services for the kingdom of God, and it is a blessing. It is such a blessing to lead well. Moses had to be humbly open about his struggles to receive good feedback, right? Humility and transparency helped expand his narrow focus. He couldn't see beyond this and, you know, uh, on this problem in a way which allowed 
sort of Jethro to come in and process a solution with him. So Moses had to be humble and open to hearing all that and receiving it. Now, sadly, I would say that many pastors don't get past this point, right? In, in, they, they don't get past the point of moving beyond being a shepherd to being a rancher, so to speak, right? Shepherd, a shepherd walks around with their sheep all day long. They're out there just kind of, you know, taking care of them. They attend to each one and whatever problem they might have. And that's fine when they're not too many sheep, right? But I don't know if you realize sheep multiply. Some of you guys are multiplying like rabbits. We've got a lot of kids in this church, right? You know, you know how that happens. We'll talk about that later. But, but anyway, but as, as we grow, and it's not just by childbearing, but as we grow, it becomes unwieldy. It becomes bigger and bigger, and he can't do it all, and the sheep suffer, right? Some pastors are addicted to the sense of need from people, right? They're addicted to that, 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 that person that people come to. They, they like that feeling. They chase sheep down, and they bring them back into the fold if they can, and that is a pastoral heart, and there's nothing wrong with that pastoral heart. That is an honorable gift. It's a good gift, and it serves the church well. Even when it gets larger, it still serves the church well, but when it gets too large, when a church gets too large, and and they involve themselves in every little detail, uh, every little issue that comes up, the end result is that they suffer and the sheep suffer, right? When I get stressed out, I bark at you right? We, we know that. That's very normal. Oh, I have a dentist appointment tomorrow at 10 o'clock. <laughs> but a rancher employs others, right? They shepherd other shepherds, so to speak, right? They, they're much more manage, it's much more manageable and it's much more healthy for all involved. Now, right now, you know, uh, we're going into the summer, so you'll see numbers drop in the church. That's very normal through, through August and all that stuff. But right now, we have somewhere between 120, 125, 150 people in this church that might call this church home. We have about 40 kids, 10 years old and under. We're starting our first VBC uh, next week. And, and, and uh, our, minist- our children's ministry is just growing. We're starting to get uh, Sam, Sam Christie is, is starting to talk to the high schoolers about getting together and doing some more stuff, all that stuff. We have more visitors all the time, more than other churches do, apparently. And our retention rate is actually much higher than you would, real, you would realize. And we are growing. Nice sunny day, some empty seats, everybody's out at the beach. Um, but we are growing. We are growing. God is graciously growing us, and I I really feel this, at a sustainable rate. At a very sustainable rate. He's being good to us. Amen. God is blessing us as we move forward. So leaders delegate to people, to able people. They they own their problems, and they, they, they need mentors to grow and expose their own weaknesses in life. But leaders also succeed by their own growing ability to raise up new leaders, right? And we see this in verses 19 through 22a. It says, listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them uh, his decrees decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them, in other words, men of character, people of character, right, of integrity, right? 
uh, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for all the people at all times. So Jethro is helping Moses to see and to commit to his core calling and to represent the people before God, right? As, as, as well as to instruct them, to teach them, and all this other stuff. Uh, you know, often leaders getting uh, into the details of everything aren't operating out of strength, and they aren't, they aren't fulfilling the ministry to which God's called them. I remember one pastor I knew, just, you know, his, his uh, equivalent of an elder board, they were, they were just walking him through because he just... His church was large, and he was just involved in everything, and he just got meaner and meaner and meaner and tireder and more tired. And, it, and, and I have to watch that. We all have to watch that. All of us pastors have to watch that, and we have to adjust for it, right? We, we, we need to be reminded of our core calling and commit to the few simple things that Jesus calls us to, raising up other leaders to fill in gaps, Right? And so Jethro helps Moses to develop a plan to delegate to other qualified leaders. Judging the people was important, but that wasn't what God was calling Moses to do with his time and his energy and his abilities, right? Moses needed to raise up godly leaders to minister and to judge the people. And by diversifying the load he, you know, and focusing on his core calling, Moses had a team of people to bear it with him. And it became much more healthy. And as leaders grow through barriers, I'll tell you a secret. Everybody else has to grow through the barriers too, right? Transition is difficult for some more, you know, some people more than others. You know, some of us are more comfortable with transition. Some of us, it scares us to death. We like birth a small bird every time, you know, the word change comes up, right? But it is necessary. It is always necessary in the life of a church. Transitioning leadership means we empower others with new responsibilities. It takes time for some to get used to doing things differently. You know, you know, during seasons of transition in a church, you'll often hear people say, well, we've never done it that way before, right? Well, why is that different now, right? Or I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't know what's going on. And sometimes you have to repeatedly tell people, remember, we're not doing it that way anymore, right? You shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this instead. We have to kind of remind them like 10, 20 times. You know, it's like sometimes we don't hear things the first time. We hear it the hundredth time or the thousandth time sometimes, right? And that's understandable. All of that is understandable. We are creatures of habit. We are creatures of habit. I mean, habit, habitual things make us comfortable. They, they settle us in. They, they help us to, to hear other things, and that's okay. But when transition needs to happen, transition needs to happen. You know, an organization is like a person, right? It can't stay in the infant or the toddler or the adolescent stage. It has to grow into maturity. It has to, right? And these leaders that Moses put into place weren't just anybody, right? They had to be able, God-fearing, trustworthy men who hated bribes, right? Because... I don't, well, it's not so much in American culture, but in Indonesia, man, bribery was just a part of life. I don't know if you know, Singapore even has a law, a tax law, that says that you can write off the bribery of international travel. Because when you go to other tra- countries in, within, within Asia, you've got to bribe everybody, every next person to get business done. And so they, they allow you to, to keep track of that and write that off on your taxes. It's crazy. 
I walked into the immigration office one time and I said, I'm here to get my visa. And she said, well, that's a nice ring. And I said, yeah, it's a nice ring that's staying on my finger. And she said, well, you want your visa? I'm like, dude, lady, that's my wedding ring. You're not getting my wedding ring. I'll, you know, I, I, like, I, it's not going to happen. But that's the way you had to operate in Asia. It was hard, right? Where am I now? <laughs> but they had to be people that hated bribes. You know, qualified people who shared the same passion, the same vision from the Lord for the community of God. And in so doing, Moses would be able to raise them up to be righteous, fair, good judges who serve the people better than just always coming to him, right? So over time, it looks like something like this, if, if that, we can get that chart up. I've got a TV over here. I'm not just looking at a blank wall. I don't know if you know that. It's the same thing as you have. But, you know, a church of 35 would just have one leader and then three volunteers. You go to church of 75, and that those three people from church of 35 move into a leadership position, and they, then you have 15 volunteers raised up to get, get all the work of the ministry done. And then you go to 125, you have three leaders and 15 leaders, and then you have volunteers, so you have leaders of leaders starting there, and then it moves on to 6 and 30 and 80, and they, you know, it, it just, there's a progression, you know, you know, it, we, it takes a lot, right? You know, it just, it's just not that, not that simple to run a church. There's a lot, a lot of moving parts here. There's a lot of things that go on, it's, and it's not just about leaders. Like, as I said in the beginning, it's about all of us, right? Every single one of us at the helm doing something, being active, an active member of a church actually adds incredible value to your life. I don't know if you know that. If you're an active, like you're not just a participant, but you're, or, or you're not just an observer, but you're a participant, right? That you actually, and it's okay if you come here for a while and you kind of want to sniff us out and see if you really like us. That's cool. That's cool. You're like dating, right? You're like, you know, I don't know. You know you're like looking at the person across the coffee house before you go ask them out, right? Like that's that kind of thing. You know, we get that. We get that. You want to come in here and you want to, you want to check things out for a while. But after you check things out, it's good to get involved. It's good to, to put yourself out there. And, and, it, and it adds incredible, incredible value to your life. It brings so much joy. Every little moment and every little task is important, right? It all matters. Think about like, you know, if you sign up with Kim to go down and teach on a Sunday morning, would get on that rotation every six weeks, you go down and you teach a class in the kids' ministry, you're not just down there babysitting. That is not what you're doing, right? You are doing two things. One is you are building into the life of that child so that they can be an active member of the kingdom of God as well. You are raising them up. You're feeding them spiritual truth and all that kind of stuff. You're loving them. You're caring for them. You're, you're embracing them. We want our children in this ministry to grow up and when they're 30 years old, not to say, oh, I hated going to church. We want them to say, I used to love going to church. I used to love, like, you know, Miss MJ used to, like, you know, play games with us and teach us these stories. And we want them to be able to recite these stories, like, out of, like, almost rote memory. They just can come out with it. We want to build truth into them, right? Second thing you're doing is you're giving a parent an opportunity to come up here and relax and worship and learn themselves so that they can go back and parent their children more strongly, right? If you're greeting at that door, you're not just saying hi. You are, that smile on your face, that warmth that you express to somebody is actually bringing them, they, 
that first encounter is probably one of the most important encounters a person has with church. If you're a greeter, you might be the reason they never come back or they come back. I, I not to give you too much pressure. Everybody just wet their pants. It's on that stage. But like, just seriously, if you shake a hand and you say, oh, we're so glad you're here, and you give them enough information that they feel comfortable as they come into this room, we want them to feel comfortable. We want them to know, you know, oh, you have kids. I see you have kids. You want me to walk you down to the kids' wing, right? That kind of thing. You, that is super important. That might be the connection point that they actually hear the gospel and they actually accept Christ in their life. That is important. Every, all other moments are past us. All other moments are before us. This is the moment that matters. Wherever you are and whatever you're, whoever you're looking at, that's the moment you can express the kingdom of God in some way, shape, or form. Right? I, I spent more time on that than I expected to. But the truth is, everybody in a church gets to play. Everybody gets to play. It takes a lot of people to lead a healthy church. Right? It really does. And let me remind you, God made you on purpose for a purpose. Hear that. God made you on purpose for a purpose. And we want everybody out there you know, that comes into this church, we want everybody to, to know God, to find freedom in life, to discover their purpose, and to make a difference in this world sake of the name of Christ, for the sake of the kingdom of God, right? That's what we want. Even small opportunities of serving build into you more and more of what God can do through you. You know, greeting may not be your great purpose in life, but it's a stepstone stone to understanding and be, being trained to understand your greater purpose in life. You know, your certain gifting and all that kind of stuff. Um, one church growth guru says that a typical church has 40% of its people serving in some volunteer role, and that a healthy church has 60%. And that, that number can actually even go higher in some churches. Right now, we have about 60% serving as volunteers in this church. Amen. And actually, it's going higher. We are seeing more and more people come, come into those roles. Lindley, wherever she is, I think she might have gone downstairs. Oh, there she is. Lindley's putting together a class in the fall for um, understanding, exploring, and understanding our spiritual gifts. It's a healthy step in understanding how God has gifted you to serve this church and, 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 and its vision to reach others, to, to build the kingdom of God, right? We're adding to our current structure in many different ways and developing growth initiatives, initiatives as well. It's an exciting time for me here at 6 8. I am very, I am tired some days. But I'm very excited. You know, internally, I am just jumping for joy. So leaders delegate to able people. They own their problems. They need godly mentors for growth and identification of weaknesses in themselves. They grow in their ability to raise up other leaders. And lastly, um, leaders last by developing their ability to judge the hard cases, right? And see this in verse 22 and 23. He says, but have them... Bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. Um, That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. And if you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So leaders need to personally develop to, uh, to handle important and difficult cases. They, they really do. 
Uh, and this is why, you know, by the way, sabbaticals and retreats and time off are very important. You guys have been awesome, just absolutely awesome towards my family in this regard. You guys have uh, given me whole months off at times to just go and get lost in the wilderness. <sighs> See, I, I get choked up. It's such, that is such a life-giving thing for me. Just, you know, I, I, like I, the way I want to die is out out in like God's creation eaten by a bear that would be the best way to die and if I get eaten by a bear don't don't cry say oh that's how he wanted to go amen right you guys have given me that chance I the last bear I saw with her cub I I actually chased her I (laughs) she was huge I chased her I was like I well anyway I do carry protection for that but you know I got my protection out and then I was like Wait a minute, she's running away. I started chasing after her. You know, my wife's like, what are you doing? Anyway, but, you know, I, I, get, I get out there in God's creation, and I get lost, and I repair my soul. I repair my soul. You have cared for us in so many, a, a myriad of ways. You've, you've just really been good to my family. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for that, right? The character and the personal growth of a leader matters greatly. It matters greatly when faced with leading through challenging times and through difficult circumstances. We need to grow ourselves. You may, you may or may not know I'm in a spiritual mentor class along with 11, 11 other people in the church here right now. We just had our, uh, one of our cohorts this weekend, Friday night and Saturday, all day yesterday. We were sitting downstairs learning stuff and talking through th- stuff. And our readings have reinforced in me my desire to walk with Jesus well. The question of how is your soul is very, very important to me. It's vital to me, right? Since I, I know I can hurt people without marinating myself in Jesus, right? Ask my son sitting back there. He'd probably tell you I could, I could be a jerk, right? Um, but in the busyness of ministry, I want to kill hurry. I want to kill that off. I don't ever want to be that pastor that's doing the song and dance like, well, get you involved. You know, I I hate that. I hate it. I I want to walk with Jesus. I don't want to be that hurried, crazy pastor that you don't like, that you're like, ah, he didn't really care about me. I mean, I'm going to have my bad days, and you guys will need to forgive me for that. I've had them, (laughs) right? But I don't want that to be the norm. I want to walk out my spiritual life before you. And so I want to live Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you, as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's the way I want to live. And I want everybody to see that about me. You know, all leadership at 6-8 is growing towards this measure. We, we are pressing toward that strongly. We are pressing into that strongly. We want people be, be leaders that lead out of grace and lead out of mercy. Um, we don't want to be leaders that lead out of like some you know, cold business model and you know, just rules and regulations. That's not, that's not what we're about, right? We want to lead out of the gospel. And I think one of the great signs at 6-8 is that so many of our leaders have served for a long time without burnout. They've served for so long without burnout. They've carried burdens which would deplete others, right, who aren't filled with the Spirit of God. You know, I, Kim got her bike out yesterday. She went out and got her bicycle. It was the first time she got it out, you know, after the winter. And she got on it, and she, she said, Kim loves riding her bicycle. 
and starts riding down the driveway, and both tires were flat, right? They weren't flat when you put it in the garage at the end of the summer, right? But they were flat. You know, imagine yourselves as inner tubes, right? Inner tubes on a bicycle, you know, pump it up with air, ride it around for a while, and, and if we neglect to go back to the pump at times, we lose pressure, don't we? We go flat. Good leaders... Good leaders go back to the pump every day. They get consistent little spurts of filling of the Holy Spirit to sustain good leadership out of a healthy soul, right? They know, they know, they are convicted, they are humbled that they need more of Jesus to be able to lead humbly and lead well, right? And as Moses, you know, becomes the specialist in these, these issues, he's able to support the other judges under his authority and bless the people with the knowledge acquired through careful study and time in the presence of God. That, that really feeds you, right? That, that really pumps you up, so to speak. I remember being a young leader in a ministry at a large church, and I, um, I began as a community group Bible study leader. And then as time went on, I began heading up uh, the small groups ministry, the community group, uh, the Bible study ministry. And uh, I encountered a big problem one time, a pretty big problem, with one of my leaders. And so I brought it to the pastor by telephone. I called him, you know, when, when you had telephones, it did this, right? <laughs> this is a while back. And I brought it, brought it to him, and I said, hey, Chuck, uh, He's a good friend of mine, and I said, uh, you know, I told him the issue, and I described it all. Naturally, I thought this was an issue for Chuck. He was, that was his name, Chuck. Uh, not that Chuck. Different Chuck. And I said, uh, you know, um, I thought this was an issue for my pastor, right? And I was going to hand it off to him. I was going to leave it into his hands. So he listened to me, and, and he asked, well, what, Jason, what would you do in this situation? And, you know, I said all that stuff. And then he tweaked my thoughts. He said, well, you know, maybe this would work, but that might not work and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, he, you know, and before he hung up the phone, before he did that, he said, well, good. Now go do that. Click. (laughs) It's a, it was a pivotal moment for me. I was, I was panicked. I was like, oh crap. (laughs) You know, sorry for saying that in church. Uh, But it was a, it was the perfect move. It was the perfect move because he couldn't field everything, right? This was not something that he should be feeling. He had to rely on my growing ability, and he created an opportunity for my development as a leader. So what a blessing it is when a leader comes to me, uh, you know, in, in, in my pastorate and, and says, I'm struggling with this issue, you know, what do I do? What, what would you do? And we, we discuss it and all that stuff. And then at the end of the conversation, when we were smaller, I would often say, do you need me to go do this for you? Right? Do you need me to get into this? Right? And when they come back and they answer, no, it's not going to be fun, uh, but I should be the one. I'll take care of it. Amen to that. Right? Amen. I, I often will offer further support if, if it's needed. And then, but if it, it's nice to see leaders take responsibility in difficult ministerial situations since leaders need to be willing to take on tough jobs. They really do. Um, although we will say that some things in a church, a pastor will still need to get involved in. They still do like Moses, right? It can be, it, it can be very tempting though, right? Especially when you have multiple layers of competent staff and competent leaders and all that to let others just deal with all the crises. It's really, 
really a temptation for, for us. But, but God calls us as pastors to be willing and qualified to step in and handle difficulty, really. And when the temptation arises to avoid certain things, a true leader rejects that temptation. You know, over the 31 years of my ministerial life, I've, I've been involved in a lot of crazy conversations and crazy life issues. There's no teacher like experience, right? Like experience really changes you. And some situations which would pretty much make your toes curl. You're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this one, right? But many, many, many of which came out very positive, right? They came out wonderfully, right? Seeing people face the walls that we talked about in Joshua's life last week, right? Overcoming them, going through those walls of life in faith through the Holy Spirit's direction is a wonderful thing. Ministry, although difficult and sometimes heartbreaking in ways, is always worth it. It's always worth it, right? I know Moses saw his share of issues which sometimes didn't work out no matter how hard he tried and others that just warmed his heart and made him smile. Ministry is an honor and as a leader, I cherish every moment of it. I really do, even the hard moments. Love them, love them. Because what they do, what I see they do in you, and also what they do in my life. You know, I, I sat with Rob all day yesterday. Rob and I now have a long history with each other. Just listening to him, gosh, if you had seen, heard our conversations five years ago, whatever, very different. God bless Rob. He's growing, right? Um, I don't mean for that to sound paternalistic. He's just a brother who's growing alongside of me. It's wonderful, right? Um, where was I? <laughs> but Moses had to, had to be able to stay, he, you know, he, he, was a, he was able to stay connected with some of the more marginalized of his people by stepping in and judging the most hardest of cases, right? He doesn't pull totally away. He doesn't give up on people or, or walk away. He only delegates certain tasks to, to very qualified people, and he still involves himself to the extent that it is necessary in the matters he can move, you know, that he needs to be, so he can move forward with other issues of teaching and, and training people in righteousness. And I am very, being very, very convicted of how important uh, teaching and training in righteousness is the older I get and the more we do this together. And our passage ends today on a very positive note, uh, revealing this transformation of this community, this transitioning community, sharing the load of, of, of ministry for going into the future, right? They're, they're growing together. Verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said, and he chose capable men from all Israel, and he made, uh, made them leaders to the people. Of, of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and then he served as judge for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. So we've we've learned today that good leaders will delegate to able people. They will own their problems well. They need their own mentors to grow and and identify their own weaknesses, their own shortcomings, things like that. They succeed by their growing ability to raise up leaders. And lastly, they develop their ability to judge hard cases. They, they actually uh, don't pull all the way out. They, they really stay involved and get their hands dirty in ministry. So let me just say, if, if, if a leader comes to you and they say, hey, man, you want to you do this? 
there, here's an invitation. We understand if life just doesn't afford that opportunity right then. But if you have a little bit of a fear in your heart, like, ah, I don't really want to do that. Push through the fear. Push through the fear. Because if your leader sees it in you, it's probably there. If you think you can't do it, but they think you can do it, they're probably hearing from the Lord for you. And if you can push through it, push through it, because God bless you, you will. There is wonderful, a wonderful promised land of milk and honey flowing on the other side that you cannot fathom. You may have just never done that yourself. You may have never have walked up and said, I, I want to do that. You know, some of us, when, when, when Kim says, hey, you want to be on the children's rotation, pre, you know, teaching in the kids' wing, we're like, oh, I can never teach a class to a kid. No, actually, you can. You can. If she's asking, you can do it. And, and you learn so much. Somebody yesterday, I forget who it was, was telling me, man, I just learned so much by teaching those kids. I'm so glad. I was scared to death when I first went in there. Now I'm just so glad that it's happening. So let me shut up. Uh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for these lessons that you reveal to us through your, these stories in the scriptures. We thank you for good people like Moses and Jethro and all these other people that they served and they served alongside. Father, we are just going into a new season. We've been 10 years. We're going into another 10 years. And I pray that you would grow and develop our church uh, in number and depth and in, in spiritual fortitude and in, in understanding and in training of righteousness, Father God, we praise you for what you're doing in us and what you are doing and will do through us. And we ask that we would be faithful servants, uh, obedient to your call, that we would live in barrier-breaking faith, Father God. Thank you.